I want to tell you a story. It's probably a story you've heard before, so bear with me. It's 1982 in Boulder, Colorado. The internet doesn't exist yet, so students at Colorado University actually have to go to the library if they want information. As a result, the university library is a pretty happening place. It's midterms, so the library is especially crowded with stressed out, over-caffeinated, and under-rested students cramming for their exams. So in walks this tall, lanky, nerdy guy. He's a grad student in the physics department, but he dresses more like a farmer. And he catches sight of this beautiful woman out of the corner of his eye. She has long, black hair that falls straight down her shoulders like a waterfall, and she is hunched over a biology textbook, furiously taking notes. So this guy walks up to her and asks her out. She immediately shoots him down. She came to the library to study, not to get picked up by weirdos. And besides, she already had a serious boyfriend. And that's that. Except, turns out, this woman cannot get this lanky, nerdy farmer guy out of her head. Her relationship with her boyfriend is falling apart. She can't really imagine marrying him. And her mind just gets stuck on this guy from the library. For weeks, she sees this guy walking around campus and can't get up the courage to ask him out. She talks about him so much that all her friends get sick of it. Just when she thinks she might lose her mind, the unexpected happens. This guy runs into her again and asks her out for a second time. And she says yes. The rest is history. They move in together. They get married. They have three kids. They grow old together. The end. Actually, this is the story of how my parents met and how they fell in love. But sometimes it feels like this is the only relationship story that I have ever heard. Boy meets girl, boy asks girl out, boy gets girl, the end. But what about all the other types of relationships that are happening out there? What about all the people for whom this narrative just doesn't seem to fit? What about the gays, the lesbians, bisexuals, pansexuals, asexuals, trans, gender-fluid queers? What about their relationship stories? This is Queer Meets Queer. Hi, I'm Weston. I'm non-binary, and I go by they, them pronouns. What non-binary means to me is that one day to the next, I don't know if I'm going to wake up feeling more like a boy or more like a girl. Usually I'm somewhere in between. And yeah, that's me. My name is Seth. I uh, identify as like 80% gay. I think I've always landed on percentiles to kind of help identify myself. And I think I mostly identify as male, but I'm not really attached to it. I am Justin. <laughs> uh, I use he, him, his pronouns. I identify as, I guess, if we're using percentages, 100% gay and I guess 100% male. I don't know. Gender is a construct, so uh, male represents my genital male. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Fair, fair. My name is my name is Nikki. I use they them pronouns, but I tell people my pronouns are whatever you see me as in the moment, because none of them bother me. Um, so I I kind of just use they them as like a blanket term, and I identify currently as non-binary, gender fluid, everything and nothing at the same time. 
In this podcast, we are going to tell stories about queer relationships, specifically the most important relationships in our lives. So there's two things to unpack here. What do we mean by queer and what do we mean by the most important relationships in our lives? I want to start with the most important relationships in our lives because that seems like a much easier thing to unpack. Queer is a word that we'll we'll get back to in a second, but it has a lot of baggage. So have any of you ever heard of Dunbar's number? Yeah, essentially, my understanding is just that it's a principle that speaks to how many um, simultaneous relationships a person can hold. Yeah, that's exactly right. So Dunbar's number is a theorized cognitive limit on the number of relationships a person can maintain at a given moment. So exactly what you just said. So Robert Dunbar is this British anthropologist and evolutionary psychologist who studied primates and was really interested in how many relationships a a, a single average human person was capable of maintaining. And he was asking this question in the early 1990s when people were becoming more and more connected. And he came up with this number, 150, and that's Dunbar's number. And he describes it as being the number of people that if you were to meet them in a bar, you would feel comfortable inviting them to sit down with you and have a beer and it wouldn't be awkward. Or vice versa, you would feel comfortable kind of inviting yourself to have a beer with them and just chat. One of the interesting things about this is that he also studied hierarchies within this 150 people. And he found that every single person tended to have this really small inner circle. And this inner circle were the most important people to them. It was, you know, a shoulder to cry on, someone you can go to for anything, someone you probably speak with on an almost daily basis. And across the board, this inner circle was about five people. And so when we say the most important relationship in our lives, we're really talking about these five people who are closest to us. And those are the relationships that we're interested in hearing stories about. So I'm going to read this quote by John Corvino. John Corvino is an American philosopher. He's been a huge advocate for gay rights and specifically for gay marriage. Think about the wide range of activities that make up our romantic lives. When we talk about heterosexuality, we talk about that full range. But when we talk about homosexuality, we narrowly focus on sex. And then we get this skewed picture where straight people have relationships and gay people have sex where straight people have lives and gay people have lifestyles. The thing is that gay people's romantic lives, like straight people's romantic lives, are made up of a wide range of feelings and activities and relationships. I like that. Damn, that's so real. I've never thought about that before. That's real as fuck. When you read that, I was like, oh my God, right, yes. I think another thing that that I noticed in this quote is just our culture's obsession with love stories in particular and how we rarely talk about the really important relationships in our lives that aren't based in romance or are, are maybe have a romantic edge to them but are really built around something else. And so I think that when we talk about like the whole scope of human feeling and relationships, that goes beyond a romantic partnership. And that's just not something that I've ever seen in any media is you know this idea of like queer friendship or any kind of relationship that is platonic in nature. It's always just like 
pining and yearning and unrequited love and abuse and heartbreak and sex. So next, I'd like to talk about the word queer. If you look up the word queer in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, you get an entry that is literally 1,000 words long. It's totally overwhelming. Uh, it's like, uh, yeah. It's almost like it's a tough to define thing. Why would we use queer as an umbrella term for this podcast? Why would we use it? I think the point of it, the intention behind using it is to capture every single person who falls on the spectrum. And there are many, many different identities and terms and pronouns. And when I use the word queer in my head, it's all encompassing for all of those equally. I also think that like as a social movement, like it's important for all of these various identities to actually come together. And so I think that queer allows for us to do that. Of relating to or characterized by sexual or romantic attraction to members of one's own sex. Homosexual, of relating to gay. or characterized by sexual or romantic attraction that is not limited to people of a particular gender identity or sexual of orientation. relating to or being a person whose sexual orientation is not heterosexual and or whose gender identity is not cisgender. Of relating to or being a person whose gender identity cannot be categorized as solely male or female. Gender queer, of relating to or being a person whose gender identity differs from the sex the person had or was identified as having at birth. Transgender. I think another thing that is interesting is I hear a lot of people say, well, queer is an insult. Queer is an adjective, and as an adjective, it means odd, strange, eccentric, unconventional. It also can mean questionable, suspicious, sick unwell. And I think it's especially this sick, unwell part that has driven a lot of the negativity associated with this word. And then also the fact that a word that means sick, unwell was used for so long to describe people who were gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, genderqueer, um, you know, not heterosexual and not cisgendered. But what I can't really escape from is the fact that there is no word to describe somebody who is not heterosexual or not cisgender that isn't also an insult. Gay is an insult, lesbian is an insult, homosexual is an insult. There's just so much stigma that there just there just isn't any language we can use to describe ourselves that isn't in the hands of, you know, somebody else potentially an insult. But, you know, at the end of the day, we have to identify as something. I have to have some kind of language to describe who I am, or else I feel like I don't exist. That's an important part of identity. I really like that, too, because I think it also emphasizes the fact that, like, words are... Just because a word is used in a way doesn't mean that was the way that was actually designed, you know? So, like, when we talk about, like, you know, homosexual being, like, an insult, it's like, okay, yeah, but that's just a descriptor, actually. It's the way that people used it that made it, that the context an insult. And so perhaps queer is the same way, you know? I think that a lot of the time that, that people have pushed back against the term queer, it's 
if it's a, a queer person talking about it, I think it's because of the trauma that they've probably endured either in childhood or, you know, like maybe in like early adulthood from peers or parents or like anybody that they trusted, right? People that were supposed to be able to satisfy their needs uh, and make them feel safe betrayed that trust. And I think that that's, that's at least in the times that I've encountered people pushing back against the word queer, that's that's been why, has been that that trauma. The only like pushback I've encountered with other, I'll use the word queer just because we're they're talking about it, but the only pushback I've encountered from other queer people is that it is a reclaimed slur. And I have, I, I have spoken with queer people who specifically do not use it because they do not wish to reclaim that. And, and I think there are a lot of, for lack of a better term, queer people who staunchly oppose that word because of its bad history. We have to remember that there's not one single term that that feels right for everyone, but we can do our best by trying to define that term as what the intention behind it is and what the intention behind its usage is. I think that a lot of people who identify as queer, and this definitely applies to myself, um, is that, you know, like when I'm, when I'm around a lot of other gay men, I tend to identify as gay, but that doesn't feel 100% right to me. And so queer is this box that I can fall into that is comfortable because it's not absolute. I can be queer and that can mean any number of things. And so it's, it's almost a non-label. It is a bin for people who don't feel like they really fit into other bins. Um, but it's also an umbrella term that applies to anyone who is part of that LGBTQ plus spectrum. We recorded that in mid-March, before Oregon officially went into quarantine in response to the COVID-19 epidemic. It's more than 150 days later, and the world is a different place. I'm lucky enough to be working from home, which means that I rarely leave my home at all anymore. Like most people these days, my world has shrunk. Without the regiment of office hours, commutes, and social commitments, time has lost some of its meaning. From my house near the Markham Bridge, the sound of rushing traffic on I-5 is always pressing in. Sometimes it mixes with the sound of my neighbors chatting and listening to music in their backyard. Our yards share a fence, but we are each an island. I don't know them. COVID has changed everything, including this podcast. Early on in the shutdown, our recording studio shut down, and it has yet to open. Not that it matters much, because it's not safe to record in a studio right now anyway. We've been recording all of our interviews outside. We've traded a clean studio sound for an ambient on-location sound. Today, we are going to hear three relationship stories, one each from myself and Seth, Nikki, and Justin. You are also going to hear birds chirping, cars driving by, insects buzzing, planes flying overhead, and you might even hear a leaf blower. First up is Justin's story. This is a story of queer friendship, a theme that we will be taking a deeper dive on in a future episode. 
Justin and Stephen clicked right away and together found a community of friends and chosen family. I am Stephen. I am 26 years old. I just moved to Portland two years ago from Fresno, California. Met this awesome guy. How did y'all meet? Um, so we actually met at um, CC's and I was looking for a seat during a drag show and there was one uh, available seat left and it was next to Steven. I think like right away it was like some type of chemistry. So he like asked me to, if anyone's sitting by me, and I was like, no, go ahead, you know, sit down. <laughs> yeah, he went to get, get a drink and like I played this little game on him when he came back. He was like... Because when I went to get a drink, I asked him to watch my jacket right, to save my spot. Stranger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Keyword stranger. <laughs> I think I took his jacket and put it under me. Try to be a goofy guy sometimes. <laughs> I'm okay all the time. <laughs> I, and by the way, it was kind of like ballsy, but it was also like I just felt like some type of connection where like he's going to laugh at this, you know. I also didn't really have a lot of, probably didn't have no friends in Portland at this time. And uh, yeah, and after that, we just like laughed about it thought it was like the funniest thing ever <laughs> well Little. first off i think it's important to note that like whenever i go out i always try to avoid like talking to new people and so like so he started like talking to me and i was like oh my god this guy's talking to me <laughs> and then, <laughs> but once he like played that trick then i was like okay i guess like i'll talk to him and like figure out his name or whatever and then we started talking and um that's when Stephen told me that he's from Fresno, California. And so I'm also from the Central Valley of California. Once I know that someone's from the Valley, then I'm like, okay, like this person, like I can talk to them, like they're a real person or whatever. And so, so we started talking and then that's when he was like, oh, like, you know, like, are you just going to be hanging out here all night or whatever? And I told him, I was like, oh, um, I was like, I'm going to the other place to, like, to actually like, dance. <laughs> and I was like, well, do you want to like come with me because I figured he told me he was new to the area so I was like he probably doesn't know anyone like he probably doesn't know what to do and so I was like yeah do you want to come with me and he was like yeah totally and I'll never forget <laughs> because we were going to leave and he's like drinking this like I think he was drinking a cider or something and he was like oh he's like um he's like oh do you think I should like just like take this with me and I was like absolutely not are you kidding me <laughs> absolutely not and so we go we call a lift we get into the lift we're heading over to the Holocene and then all of a sudden, like, he takes out this drink and starts drinking it. And I'm like, so you took it anyway? <laughs> and I was like, well, also, like, I want some. So, like, <laughs> yeah. No, we're getting along just fine. <laughs> so we went to Holocene, and I was meeting up with some friends, actually from my D&D group. Uh, and so, yeah. And so, like, drank, partied. Ended up going to an after party afterwards. After party, kind of sort of turned into an orgy. <laughs> like a D&D orgy or was yeah, it unrelated? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. This was really weird, actually. Which was, like, my experience doing, so- or first experience doing something like that with them. Well, I didn't really do much, but I was kind of like, oh, I didn't know this was what, on the agenda. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's the night we met. And then after that, I mean, it was like every weekend with Justin. Pretty much, yeah. I'm on to the state. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When was, what year did you meet? It's been like a year. Yeah, it yeah. happened really quick. Yeah. Like, just very much connected right away. Yeah. What were some of your, like, first impressions of each other? 
Yeah. I, I really just, like, felt something with Justin. It was really, like, very safe and very, like, homish. Um, I'm all... <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing to me? <laughs> it makes me cry. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, I think another thing to say is that um, our friendship has really never been sexual either. Right. Which um, I think, like, me talking to my family and talking to certain friends, they're like, I post Justin all the time on social media, and they're like, oh, are you you guys having sex? I'm like, Actually, we're not, since you must know, <laughs> you know, um, but it's always been like, like a safe zone. Like, you know, it was like it, in the eyes, it was, you know, in the way he talked to me, in the way he laughed at my jokes and got my weird jokes, <laughs> the way he didn't get mad about me taking a drink. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's down. <laughs> oh, he parties. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny you say that because like I think that's like really important to me in general with like friends that I make is that it's gonna sound weird, but like I do like to hang out with people who like who know how to party, like who know how to like have a good time, right? Like, and then also like um, authenticity is incredibly important to me. Um, I'm not really interested in like people who are like playing games, basically. I guess is what I'll say. And so, and Stephen's very much not that. Like, our relationship has always just been like this is who we are, like, this is what we're doing, like, this is what we're talking about, and not, like, bullshit. I love you. <laughs> I actually have a question for you, Steven. You mentioned that you really enjoy that your friendship is not, or your connection is not sexual. Um, have you found that with other relationships and connections, a lot of people do enter that wanting a sexual experience? Um, you know, when somebody's like, has a little, maybe sometimes like has a little crush on you or whatever. Um, but with me and Justin, it was like, um, we were sleeping in the same bed. Um, and we're just like, Hey, like be here. Like, you know, and it was just, it was safe, you know, and it was comfy and it was like, a real friendship, you know. Yeah. Um, may not make sense to what you're saying. No, I think what I'm hearing. No, what I'm hearing you say is like you never had to worry about any ulterior motives from Justin. Yeah. Like you always knew that it was. This is an intimate friendship physically, but it's not right. crossing that boundary. Yeah, it was like really like uh, it was like family kind of. It was like uh, for example, last night. Um, we have a friend who lives down the street from me and um, I was tired from the beach. So I was like, I'm going to go home and go to sleep. And then I called him. I was like, Hey, um, I was like kind of having a little bit of anxiety. So I was like, well, if you want to come over and spend the night with me, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, um, and for a second I was like, I do have like this guy that I like cuddle with sometimes. I was like, I don't want him over here. <laughs> you know, I was like, I want my friend. <laughs> right. I think kind of to like uh, a little bit closer to like to your question. It's like, so it's interesting too, because once Steve and I became friends, we kind of like have started and grown this like circle of friends. Um, and so, and it's interesting because I do hear like some people within the gay community are like, oh my gosh, it's always about sex and things like that. But like our group of friends were all like, we're all gay, most of us are cis, 
but there isn't any like sexual dynamic with any of our friends for the most part well what has that been like having like a, a circle of gay friends for the first time oh it's been really um actually amazing um what i love the most about portland is that like i have this group of friends that are like gay and like they basically feel like family it's just very like sheltering it's very like nice yeah i do feel that there's like because this is also like my first like group of just all gay friends for the most part and i think that there's just like this nice aspect of like getting to be 100 percent of yourself that you just can't quite do with like straight friends and things like that like no matter how close you are there are just some things like you can't you know, talk about yeah, yeah you're not gonna you're not gonna talk to your straight friend about like uh like preparing to have sex if you're bottoming right like, you know, <laughs> you know exactly. like that's just something you know you're not yeah. gonna talk about with your gay friends you can be like talking about different techniques and oh my gosh actually i bought this thing you should right. try that out like <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and so this is like this deeper level you get to just be in all the time which i think is really cool there's something really powerful about being in a group of people who you know understand you at like a core level and an identity level where you don't have to explain it you don't have to worry about feeling unsafe around them when you talk about that like you're on that exact same level I, i feel the same way i find it to be like just so great to be able to go to my friend and be like my UTI was fucking nasty. Right, uh-huh. And I'll talk to it, I'll talk to my brother about things like that because he's also queer. So I, I have that, but any other family member, straight friend, it's kind of an off-limits topic. Right. Not because that's been established, but because I know that I have to go through all this labor to get them to understand mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. a lot of my experience and all of ours are identity-based experiences. And I... I agree with you. I think there's this awesome, like, sheltering, like, safe, just inherently when you walk in the door, you feel a lot safer. What do you feel like you've learned, like, your biggest lesson from each other has been? So, uh, Stephen likes to really often, like, talk about, like, heart. Like, that's a word that you use very often. (laughs) Uh, Which is interesting, because, like, I feel like that's, like, not necessarily where the people throw around all the time. And so I think that... Heart, yeah. What do you mean? Uh, so I think like my biggest lesson from you, from Steven, is um, to think of things from a more emotional place more often, um, particularly within like interpersonal like communication, like being more thoughtful and intentional about like taking the heart into consideration. Yeah, biggest lesson I think I learned from Justin, honestly, was just like um, me being in my feelings around people and just being like aware more aware and more like full like eye-opening you know uh, to things that are going on around me and i'm still learning from justin every single day seriously it's like i call my mom i'm like you know i'm like learning teaching her while justin is teaching me and it's like it's like an everyday thing like i've learned something every day you know from justin it's nice too because sometimes like i'll be like we'll be having like these conversations with our friends and i'll be like what is going on and justin's like this you know he's like really one to be like you know explain it and i don't feel like i've ever been able to actually be like that with somebody who's like oh well i have patience for you you know like (laughs) this is what they're saying you know and it's like oh well rather me not being part of the conversation he's like making me understand you know yeah (laughs) 
And that's really like where um, my heart really goes out to Justin because it's like uh, it, I I would think that would take a lot, you know, for somebody just to do that for anybody, you know. When I first moved here, like my cousin, he's like Bubba. He's like, how do you have all these friends? I was like, well, I have one good friend, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it's like we've grown, like you know, and like it's like. It's like this family now that like we have, you know. We've spent one Christmas together. Yeah. 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 And it was like this is my first Christmas away from like my family and it's like I was with my family this year because I was with him. Up next, we have Nikki. Nikki tells the story of their lifelong journey to self-acceptance, a journey that starts in Iowa and winds up in Portland. This is a story about Nikki's relationship with themselves. So I was in the bathroom thinking as uh, as one does. And I was thinking about the conversation we were just having about how we're wanting to ask people in this show, how did you meet? How did you meet each other? And we were thinking about how we would ask that to somebody who was talking on their own. And I actually think that's a really powerful question to ask someone, how did you meet yourself? How did you meet who you are today? Or how did you come to that? And I think for me, uh, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from a city of 80,000 people in Iowa called Iowa City. And it's not very queer there. There's one gay club in an alley called Studio 13. But we did have a queen on RuPaul's Drag Race. Shout out to Sasha Bell. She is the hometown queen hero. But I think not having access to opportunities when it comes to, or resources when it comes to identity is, is often, it slows your progression. And I, I was engaged when I was a teenager and I was engaged to somebody who was in their 20s and I, I graduated high school. I stayed in Iowa for college because I was engaged and that ended and it ended in a very difficult way and I was trying to leave and I just happened to kind of stumble into Portland on a whim because a friend of mine in my hometown was coming here to canvas for the human rights campaign. And I came here being very unhealthy, my version of unhealthy. I wasn't eating things that made me feel good. I was a very bad cigarette smoker. And I was, I like grew up playing sports all my life and I really liked fitness and I loved working out. And I had kind of gotten into this lifestyle that wasn't serving me in the ways that I like to be served. and. I was miserable and I also didn't even know what the word trans meant. I was, I identified as a woman, a lesbian. I only liked women, cis women, period, that's it. And I felt like I was really like closed-minded as a person. I was a barista at Starbucks at Lloyd Center. I was trying to go to school, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wasn't making enough money to pay rent. I was stealing food from Starbucks so I could eat something and I was just like this mess and on top of that I was trying to figure out who I was and 
I don't know, like, so, you know, sometimes a lot of people like to say, oh, I woke up one day and shit was like something changed within me and I knew I had to go work hard to become this better version of myself or some shit. Um, but I don't think it was that for me at all. I think if I had to whittle down who I am today to a pivotal moment where I can look back and say that's where we sh everything shifted, it would be this relationship. It was really like transformational for me. And I went into this relationship with this person feeling on top of the world. And like, I had just like, this is it. This is the relationship. And then all this shit happened that hurt me and traumatized me. And it, it, I felt like I got chewed up and spit out a totally different person. And I think that was the moment where I woke up and I realized that I was allowing myself to be steamrolled. And I, and I came out of that knowing that I, if I wasn't going to start saying no to things, that I was not going to make it because I was, I was depressed and I am like a person who has, I, I'm an anxious person and my anxiety will like, it's like a snowball. As soon as something gets into my head, it's like I can't get it out. And so that combined with depression is not a very good mix. You often hear about people who experience relationships like this, where it's like, I went in as one person and I came out completely different. And that's super true for me. And I went in introverted, like people were very important to me, but I wasn't important to myself. And I wasn't a writer and I had stage fright and like all this other shit. And then I come out being this person who loves being on stage and also consistently trying to be just better and uh, improve and like and that sounds so stupid because I'm also one of those people that's like I the whole PMA thing drives me fucking nuts because most of the people who are like PMA positive mental attitude are miserable so yeah I, I don't know I think that like Portland is interesting it's my gut was to say that Portland is amazing but I don't feel that today and that's just because the more you live somewhere and you get to know it it's just like a friend like Portland's been my best friend for eight years now and I have over the course of a handful of years been seeing all the nasty sides of Portland and the like oppressive sides and the the very white sides and I feel it's important to note that but I also feel it's important to know that Portland totally changed my life I'm very lucky to have this career that I love at a brand agency as a project manager and I'm in a long-term relationship with the best person I've ever met who I'm totally going to marry and do all the monogamous gay things with. Sometimes I'm, I'm like, I think about who I am today and this is the most stable I've been my entire life. And the word stability is, is kind of on a spectrum. You know, stability for me means a job that I'm actually in love with a long-term partner who I haven't grown out of or who hasn't grown out of me and um, a housing situation that is comfortable and not problematic. Does that make, th no, that yeah. makes sense? Absolutely. Okay, yeah, great. <laughs> Do you think that you've kind of figured out a balance between um, wanting to take care of yourself um, but not allowing that to turn into the only thing you care about. I 
historically am the caregiver and am taking care of everyone else before I take care of myself, especially in, in romantic partnerships. And I think once you get out of that, the natural progression is to kind of swing the other way, like way too far. And I definitely had a, a good period of time where I felt like I was just like heads down, blinders on, just doing my own thing. But I also think that you're missing out on a lot when you do that. And I, I am one of those people who firmly believes like you attract what you put out. The more and more I kind of got toward the middle of that. And a lot of that is it's saying no to things and prioritizing myself. And then it's also being selfless and sacrificing things to make sure your friends are comfortable. And as I got more and more into the middle of that, I noticed that people were just kind of like sloughing off. And then the ones who remained were the ones who also prioritized being in the center of that with me, which has made it a lot easier to stay in the middle because we're all like-minded individuals in that aspect. I have a question for you. How much of like, so throughout this transformational period, how much of who you were before uh, do you think was because of kind of like outside like pressure and influence? A lot of it was, uh, I feel like, influenced by my family, in particular my mom. My mom and I have had a really rough relationship up until just a few years ago. And I see a lot of my relationship with my mom in that relationship that kind of was a turning point for me. And that's not necessarily an outside influence, but it was it was a huge influence that I realized pretty quickly I had to figure out a way to not be influenced by that. Um, when it comes to my relationship with myself, I think that it the outside influence has it's been kind of backwards. It's not what an outside influence has done to me but rather it's showed me what I don't want and what I don't want is uh, any sort of connection with any person that is not 50 50. I'm wondering as you've been sort of building this relationship with yourself over the years like what kind of what kind of conversations were you having with yourself to um, like grow as a person and to, and to grow into yourself more? That's a really good question. I, I was doing stuff constantly. I would write on my mirrors with dry erase marker. Every year I have a motto. Since 20, 2017 was the first year I did a motto and I was dedicating, I was like, everything I do has to hit this motto. And it's all like, bow down to no one was one motto. Like, I am not going to make decisions that force me to like seriously sacrifice myself for anything no gods no kings yeah absolutely yeah yeah um what do you think your favorite thing about your relationship with yourself is oh my god my favorite thing about myself that's a it's really a, it's a really question. hard question yeah i think that like my my favorite thing about myself is that i know with certainty that i could lose everything i have right now and be fucking fine and still know that like I'm a badass, I'm gonna be all right. It's gonna suck for a while, and then something else will happen, and it'll be whatever. That's the life that I want to be able to, like, 
build continue to build is this life that like i could have everything in the world but i'm gonna be totally cool if i lose it and that's how i hope to live out the rest of my life that's incredible so if you lost your relationship with your partner and your job um and like your current living situation what's something that you would have that like you couldn't get taken away from that's just part of your relationship with yourself i think hmm i just know i i know that i'll bounce back even like being devastated because like don't get me wrong losing my relationship with my partner my house my job whatever would be devastating if my cat died i'd be devastated but i also know for a fact that the one thing I can rely on is my ability to bounce back. And within that are branches like resourcefulness and hustle and all this other shit. And so if I lost everything tomorrow, I'd call my best friend. I'd probably move in with her. I'd start looking for a new job. You know, I'd do all this other stuff. And I would also allow myself the time to feel sad without letting it consume me. And I think that's a very important aspect of healing from anything is like being sad, but don't let the whole, don't let it take you over. Is there anything that you would tell your like past self, like any advice you would want to give who you used to be? No, I think things would be different if I, if I had had, if I had any different advice than I, sorry to anyone who's like, (laughs) give me advice on being happier. (laughs) No, I think, if, if I could think of one thing just for the sake of thinking of one thing, it, it value your experiences, understand that all of your experiences are very important to whoever you're going to be there and whoever you want to be like, there is going to be something inside of you that you just haven't found yet to get you there. Last up, we have my story, but really it's Seth's story too. When we met, Seth and I didn't know if we were lovers or friends or brothers. I think we knew there was something between us, but finding out exactly what that was took a lot of trial and error, a lot of patience, and a lot of love. So I think the the burning question on everyone's minds is, how did you meet? Um, So I moved here uh, three years ago um with my now ex and we we were together for about i don't know like three or four months after moving here together uh and when we split um i hopped on grinder pretty quickly um and once uh i was on grinder i had noticed a profile that seemed out of my range um and eventually just kind of like shot my shot and you responded um and so we met up and i think we hooked up pretty much immediately mm-hmm. um and that's why we met up yeah we met up to hook up yeah. <laughs> yeah um well no we i don't know yeah we met up for a hookup first and then we had been chatting for a little bit and so it wasn't like automatic when we met i had like just been fired from the job that i had at the time oh right um, yeah and kind of had a lot of time on my hands and i yeah. also you were 22 years old or 21 years old when we met 22 22 okay or e- 21 21 i was still 21 yeah 
And I had um, I had a rule at the time that <laughs> I was not no going babies. to go on dates no or I was not going to like make friends with anyone below 24. <laughs> um, but we were talking and there was just something about the way we were relating to each other that I was just like, well, what the hell? This, this is um, working. Let's just do it. Yeah. And um, we met up and we hooked up. And we continued to hook up. We hooked up for like... I don't know, like two or three times. I think it was just one more time. Oh, really? It was just the second time? Okay. I think so. I don't remember. But I don't remember exactly. <laughs> You're right. Um, but we also would like. We had started we were like, talking a lot. Yeah, and we and watched like a lot of movies together, and we, you know, like you invited me to your Magic the Gathering group. Yeah. And that's kind of how how I got like into the friend group. I had this conviction when I first met you that, like, we had been talking about. Um, like some like pretty nerdy stuff and I had this group of friends at the time where we were like once a week we would get together and we would play Magic the Gathering and just sort of like I actually wasn't that into that game in particular but it was just a really lovely way and an excuse to see all my favorite people once a week yeah it was it was a good time to to just kind of like be around your friends yeah and like those those that those few hours that we were all hanging out were always a a blast yeah and I just felt this I felt this conviction early on I was like Seth belongs here which like, Seth belongs with these people he belongs with my friends um, Seth my friends should be Seth's friends um, and I was just like come on Seth <laughs> and it was it was nice because I didn't have friends here yet I didn't have um, like I had a, a couple of work acquaintances that I just hadn't really gotten close to yet um, and I have since kind of built friendships with them, but I didn't, I mean, like, my ex was not particularly a social person. Um, and so a lot of my time was spent with him in our apartment and nothing else. Uh, like, I would leave to go to work, and so I didn't really have much of an opportunity to build any social relationships. Um, and so to have somebody that was just, like, so quickly allowing me into their inner circle was like groundbreaking like I, I was something that I didn't know I needed but quickly found out I did but yeah I remember um pretty early on probably within like the first month we had started hanging out because we had started hanging out pretty frequently right away you came to me and you were just like by the way I think that we should just be friends we, I don't think that we should be having sex anymore yeah um I remember feeling really guilty about it too. <laughs> I like felt bad. I was like, I like, cause I'd never really had a relationship, like an interpersonal relationship that I could just kind of like speak openly and be like, this is what I need. This is what I need to be getting out of this relationship. And so I remember being scared cause I was also worried that that would mean that you wouldn't want to be my friend. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, you know, like I'm glad that that wasn't the case. Yeah, I mean, I was glad that you had brought it up, and I've been, I've been sort of thinking the same thing. Like, I just, I just don't think that sexual connection was where it was at for us. No, um, no. We work way better as friends, I think. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm glad that you, like, set that boundary, like, early on, because it was one that probably needed to be stated just because of how we met. Yeah. And, like, na navigating that transition between, like, oh, we met on Grindr, under like pretty sexual pretenses and then to just have that kind of clear deep like moment where it's like that's that's not where this relationship is going yeah 
a lot of the friends in that group were kind of confused that we had kind of like in their eyes taken a step back well there's so much pressure i think for a relationship to go through sort of like a set of steps and i often like even today like i often sometimes i have these pretty like deep insecurities and doubts about my and your relationship because i feel very close to you and i would say that the feeling that i have for you is a big feeling and that feeling is love mm -hmm. but it's not romantic love yeah um and it's not sexual love and sometimes i'm just like in my mind i'm like that makes it not real yeah it's so easy to write that feeling off as just not being this this thing that we can depend on this thing that we can really like entrust ourselves to to feel if that right. makes sense and i do like i don't like you've met my parents mm -hmm. We've had dinner with my parents. Yeah, I've met your, your siblings, too. Yeah, my siblings. Like, I've always introduced you as, like, my friend Seth. Mm -hmm. um, and that's accurate, but I, like, it's... But I don't think that that communicates to my family, like, no. what our relationship is, really. Yeah, well, and I mean, like, I think we've kind of used the term platonic partnership before mm -hmm. just because that's... It's kind of, like, the easiest way to convey that concept to people that aren't immediately familiar with it. Uh, right. Yeah, and that, that feels also, like, kind of heavy, too. It, it, yeah, like, and, well, and that's the other problem, because it's just, like, a little bit... There needs to be, like, a middle ground between friendship and platonic partnership, because, like, while I do love you, I, like... That's... People hear the word partnership, and they, they start to assign all of these other right. emotions to it. There's this big, enormous, problematic societal expectation that... If you're meeting somebody in a romantic or sexual setting, you're either going to progress into a partnership, a romantic partnership, or you'll be nothing ever again. Yeah. And I think with that expectation, you often miss out on connections that were destined to be really beautiful friendships mm -hmm. or platonic partnerships or whatever. I have had the same conversation with a lot of people. They're like, why are you friends with so many exes? And it's because why would I miss out on the opportunity to have a connection with somebody just because it didn't work, work out romantically? Yeah. And so uh, um, to ask a question from that, I'm wondering if you two, when you try to describe your connection to each other, if you feel like the people you're describing it to are kind of judging you or expecting you to be something that you're not like i think i would say if maybe the first year you were friends um every now and then like one of like people who are close to us one of our group of friends would would say something to the effect that like that they made it clear that they thought that you and i were sleeping together yeah and i'd have to be like no that's not <laughs> happening like by the way no <laughs> we're allowed to just be friends for the first year we just really meshed yeah. And, like, I don't think we had any conflict between us. No. For a long, Literally, a long yeah. Like, time. the first entire year, I don't um, think we ever had a conflict. We bickered a lot, I think. But I think in retrospect, like, it didn't feel like bickering to me in no, the moment. No, like, it was, I like, pushing It just buttons. felt like great fun. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of our friends were like, oh, Seth and Weston are, like, bickering again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, like, having this fight. I never really realized I'd be that person. Like, you know, like, because I've always, I've seen that in other, in other people where it's like, are y'all okay? Like, do we need to, like, do I need to call someone? Like, what's going on? Um, we were always just having good fun. Yeah, like, and we, we poke fun at each other all the time. We yeah. push each other's buttons, and, and that's, 
that just works for our friendship. I think at some point, though, like, our friendship got deeper, and, like, at one point, like, that bickering became, like, real. Yeah, I think that we, we both kind of hit a point where there was, like, there was stuff that we needed to address, you know? Like, I think that we, we kind of ne- ended up needing to have those hard conversations because the the poking fun had kind of lost its pizzazz, you know? Like, it didn't, it didn't have the same humor behind it. Yeah. And so we, yeah, like, there were definitely, there have been times where we've, we've actually had, like, non-physical fights. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I feel the need to specify non-physical. Right. <laughs> I think it, I think the first time that we had, like, an actual argument was sometime last summer. Which, what do you have in mind? What are you thinking of? I think there were a few things that happened last summer that sort of changed our relationship a little bit. Oh, Yeah. So who fucked up? Right, yeah, uh-huh. I mean, <laughs> I <have a> to <laughs> an extent. <laughs> I feel like I bear a lot of responsibility. Um, it's um, just, like, it's just super, it's just, like, a classic, like, gay, messy, queer, messy situation. We have a friend who broke up with their long-term partner um, and then came to me for, um, like, some comfort. And then over the course of, like, a few weeks me and that friend kind of started dating um just for like a couple couple weeks last summer yeah and and i didn't know about it um i have like a a pretty drastic fear of um of being kind of like edged out of of friendships uh it's happened to me like four four times now uh in like some of my most important friendships in my life um and so it's it's very much like a, a visceral kind of feeling that I get in in my gut. And uh, the way that I found out about it was um, kind of the thing that made it so stressful. We were both coming to you for advice about something that was happening to the between two the two of, us of them. And, yeah, uh, you, and you puzzled it. Together. And so I put it together, and like, it's not something that I I don't care. I don't care that you guys were like dating. Um, but the fact that you didn't think to to tell me and this feels selfish um to like talk about and think about in retrospect because it doesn't involve me um it involved you pretty intimately i think like it was yeah. two of your friends and i That's mean true. yeah um but it was it was funny because i think it was the very first time that i'd ever seen you angry yeah that I, it's not I, something that happens often. I'd never seen you angry before, yeah. and I have this vivid memory of um, it was a D and D day because we all played D and D together. Yeah. Um, and I was we we always we had this ritual of on Sundays me and you would go get breakfast together, uh-huh. and that was just sort of like you and I sort of like quality time as friends. Yeah. And then we would drive to D and D together, um, and then play D and D with our friends, um, and I was expecting you to come over, and I didn't know that you had like placed these ideas together yeah um and um i was like sitting on the floor of my bedroom and you um let yourself into the house as you often did and you just like burst into my bedroom um and i don't remember what you said but you were just like obviously mad um and i was so startled because i'd never seen you angry before in like the year and a half that i met you that i just started cracking up. yeah you you lost oh, it I just, laughing I laughed. Oh. yeah 
<laughs> it's so such a it's such a valid reaction. <laughs> People do that a lot, and also it's like the worst to be angry and somebody starts laughing. Yeah, well, it definitely made right. me, it definitely made me <laughs> more <laughs> mad. I also, I also knew immediately that I was in trouble, and yeah. I knew exactly why I was in trouble, and I felt really terrible. We also, our friend was also carpooling with us that day. Yeah, and so all three of us that were gonna have to be in a car. Too much. I we, like. Yeah. I remember being pissed. Yeah. That I had to go and have both of you in my car for an extended period of time and just like not lose my shit and because like D and D together for the next like four hours and then I had to I had to drive them home <laughs> afterward <laughs> and like I I'm like I'm not I don't know like I was saying like I'm not a really angry person typically and like when I do get angry it's not like I'm not like a violent person and like I don't know like I'm I know I can be kind of intimidating in those situations though like i don't i don't know if we've really talked like how did you feel at that i point? thought that you were so valid and <laughs> i felt like i mean i feel i feel kind of bad still about how that happened because it was just sort of it was a really messy situation for everybody involved and i think all three of us kind of have hurt feelings about it um because it really didn't it also didn't last very long um yeah and it was over pretty quickly and and we're all we're all still friends yeah like we still we have like a group chat between the three of us and we mm-hmm. you know like we're we're fine yeah um but i i, and I did, still i still love that friend too yeah so do i um but I, I do feel like it was this moment where like i our relationship we had a lot of just innate trust in each other yeah and i kind of felt like i had sort of violated that trust by like keeping what was happening between me and our friend a secret um or just like not telling you about it because we had such open lines of communication when it came to dating um and like sex and just like what was going on in our lives in general that the fact that i had sort of kept the secret from you made me just felt like um like not like not a, not like the best moment in like like my personal choice making and also just sort of a thing that harmed our relationship a little bit and like i think that that event was kind of the point where i broke that barrier um this was kind of like the the dam broke between us and i was now able to kind of breach the subject yeah i mean i think it sort of started a new phase of our relationship where we were kind of airing out some grievances between us there were also two other things that happened this summer that i think are significant yeah. Um, and so one of them was that part of I have been thinking about you and I more and more as platonic partners. Yeah. And, I, and I actually told you um, that, like, we had a conversation in your car driving somewhere where I said, like, listen, Seth, like, I would marry you tomorrow. I didn't think that that would, like, change our relationship in any way. But that was just how I, I felt. Like, I just kind of felt very committed mm-hmm. to you and committed to our relationship. Um, and really wanting to just put that out there that like, yeah, like sometimes this might be work, but I just really want to like do that work because yeah. I love you. I remember that. I remember that. And I also made you a friendship bracelet. Which I still have and I look at it all the time. It's True. Um there were two other things that happened that summer that I think were significant. One of them was that we moved in together yeah. in the fall, last October. Um, but before that, you met somebody. 
Yes. Um, I have a partner who lives in Canada. But yeah, so that that definitely changed our dynamic. Um, Cause it's like, it's changed my life, my interpersonal relationships and my plans for the future and yeah. all of which you're involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I don't know if I've said this to you before, since I've been new information, <laughs> which is always scary. Um, but I think like prior to that point, like prior before you had met um, your partner, um, or this guy you're dating now, um, I had in the back of my head sort of like, always thought that like maybe our relationship would change and we would like become more romantic Mm. um and it was just sort of this like nagging thought in the back of my mind that i was never really all that serious about but it was just sort of like a possibility Mm. and i think watching you get closer to this other person made me really have to like confront that well just like not ignore it you know because it wasn't actually a thing that we said early on, like it wasn't where our relationship was going. Yeah. It wasn't where our relationship was strongest. Um, and I really loved our relationship for what it was. Like mm-hmm. I think that the fact that our relationship is platonic is actually super important to me. Yeah. Um, me too. And it wasn't something that I wanted to change. And like when I said that, you know, like I would marry you tomorrow, that didn't mean like I'm going to marry you tomorrow and then we're going to have like, we're going to be like romantic sexual husbands. Yeah. It wasn't ever the intention. It was just yeah. to sort of convey that I felt like committed to, relationship yeah and i think that when when you said that to me it definitely kind of like kicked this part of uh this like you know like the heteronormative concept of marriage Mm -hmm. um and i think that that's probably why i kind of like reacted the way that i did which i think if i remember right i didn't like say anything i think you were surprised (laughs) i was shocked yeah um but like because i've i'm just like i don't know like that's not I don't think about marriage very often. And so like, it's not a concept I've addressed. And so to have you say that was just kind of like a, my parents are married. Are we going to be married? Like my parents are married. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also like the other part of that, the sort of like idea that I had in the back of my mind that like maybe our relationship would change, I think was mostly driven by the fact that I've, I've never stopped finding you attractive. Like I just, I just think that you're a very handsome person um and that but it but that doesn't mean that i want to have sex with you yeah because i don't and that's a lot you're handsome so that that begs the question then how much of that idea do you think was genuine and how much of that do you think was kind of your perception of what is supposed to happen when you think somebody's attractive i think you're hitting it on the head is that um Earlier on, I said that I, I still sometimes feel this, like, sense of insecurity that our relationship is, like, not valid because it's not following kind of, like, a stereotypical progression of, like, what happens and two people meet and really hit it off. Um, like, you know, like, we live together, but, like, we're not romantic partners, but we mean a lot to each other and we, like, are sort of thinking about our future as something that's going to, like, happen together on some level. Yeah, like, I definitely... And I remember we, we had this conversation pretty genuinely, like, early on um, in our relationship. But I don't want you to not be a part of my life right. at any point. Like, I don't see that happening. Like, I think yeah. you'll, you're always going to be important to me. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think what kind of makes that difficult is, like, trying to plan my own future um, and, like, what that means for you and what that means for um, me and, like, whoever I end up with. 
um, in like the most kind of cohesive way possible. Right. And so here we are having a lot of like tough conversations about our relationship and about our future, the kind of conversations that people in serious romantic relationships have. And I don't really have like a frame of reference for friends having these kinds of conversations, you know? Because I get a lot of anxiety around that, about, about like, where is this going? What do I want this to be? And that kind of thing. Um, and to think that, that relationships don't have to follow that kind of like, they're not a one-way street, right? Like, it's not like the only direction you go is straight forward until your, you know, like, romantic, married partners, and then you die together. Like, there's a lot that can go on. Like, it's a diverse map of, of different branching options. And you can also park anywhere along the way and be like, actually, this right here, this is good. I'm good with this, and I don't need to change it. I have a question for you guys to shift gears a little bit. Sure. What's your guys' favorite part of your relationship? So we've said that Seth and I have a platonic relationship. We also have a very not physical relationship. And this was something that we um, had to negotiate over a period of months and years. Because after, so first thing that happened was like, we're no longer going to be sexual with each other. But for a while after that, we were still kind of like cuddling. Um, but it was, I don't think it was ever really comfortable. Yeah, I, for I, you. I, I was okay with it. Yeah. Um, so to elaborate on that, I don't, I don't do physical contact uh, really. Over time, I was trying to figure out like what, what this was, what was happening where like we would hug and I would just kind of feel this like tension and I didn't really understand what was going on. And so we eventually had to have a conversation about how like that particular kind of physical contact, like hugging and cuddling wasn't something you were always comfortable with. Yeah. Um, And so we really had to kind of like dial back the physicality of our relationship pretty significantly. And what we replaced it with was, um, we headbutt each other to show affection. Um, and I, I love it. Like me too. I, I also think it's, it's like, it's a, it's actually a very intimate thing that you and I do. Yeah. Um, and it's, it also feels like it's just ours. Yeah. Um, I, I don't do that with anybody else. Right. Either do I. Um, and it, it just feels like kind of like a, a special thing. And I'm also sort of proud of us for like finding that solution. Yeah. Cause and- I really like, like physical affection and I, I wanted to express that somehow with you yeah and like I'm not trying to like nip that in the bud you know like I don't want to just be mm-hmm. like nope doesn't work for me you can't have it because right. like that's not fair but we're just that's an example of like how you and I are just actually very very different people yeah um and the way we sort of like express and receive love is very different yeah and we kind of had to just figure out how that was going to work yeah yeah uh, and this is something that you, I think you told me you, you saw like a, a gif of cats doing it or something like that yeah. on the internet. Cats and pigs headbutt each other to show yeah. affection. And like, and it works, it works really well for me in particular because it's, it's quick and it's firm. Um, and that's like just the right amount of stimulation to me. Um, and so it's, it's nice. It's, it's, it's very, it's comforting. And like, I think that would probably be my favorite part of a relationship too is it's it's nice that you were willing to like I've never so shout out to my parents because I know they're going to be listening to this I love you guys but uh growing up was very much like because I as a kid was was very into hugs and that kind of thing and then I kind of hit a point where I just didn't like them anymore 
Um, and I remember that being kind of hard on my mom in, in particular. Um, and so like, it's not something that I'd ever really encountered before in any interpersonal relationships, romantic relationships. Like, uh, it's uh, like my love language does not work well with physical contact. Um, and so to have you care enough about me to work to find a solution means a ton because nobody ever has before. That's cool. I dig it. It is hard to kind of tie like a neat bow in the end of these stories. And I think that's just going to be the way it is. Like totally. we didn't get married. We didn't have kids. I, well, and yeah, and that's kind of the whole know. point, right? Yeah. Is that it's like these atypical relationships. Yeah. Our relationship. It's more authentic. Like it's, that, yeah, anyway. we can do the. There's not an ending. Right we now. can do a this American lifestyle like just awkward ending of a sentence into music, and then Ira Glass <laughs> shows up and he's like, "This has been this American life. Thank you for tuning in." <laughs> I love Ira Glass. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends, that's it for this episode. I know, I know, we aren't happy either, but... Right now, we are collecting mini stories about dating while queer. It can be any story about a particularly memorable date. It could be a first date or a 50th date, a good date or a bad date. Any story about any date will do. To tell us your date story, call our storytelling hotline at 503-512-9744 and leave us a voice message. That's 503-512-9744. Sign up for our Patreon for exclusive access to our bonus episode series that we are calling Sunday Brunch. In Sunday Brunch, me, Nikki, Justin, and Seth get real, raw, and unscripted. Come for the hot takes and mimosas. Stay for juicy extended interviews with our storytellers, frank discussions about sex and sexuality, and lots more. The first episode of Sunday Brunch will air next Sunday at 11 a.m. Check out patreon.com slash queermeetsqueer for details. Mm -hmm.